Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 7th, 2023, we continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Power and Authority, will be taught to us by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Jesus is not actually interviewing for this job. Jesus has actually just declared, I am the Messiah. But there is possibility that there might be an interview going the other way. Are you good at what you do? Can I in fact trust you? And do you actually genuinely care about me as the Messiah of this world? You see, our problem in humanity is we're a no to all three of those questions. But Jesus came for you anyways. Because he's good. Because he can be trusted. And because he does genuinely care about you. There is nothing that you can possibly give him that would satisfy him but the faith that God is putting in you to believe on him, to trust him, to trust his plan, his solution. Christ has proclaimed himself to be the anointed one. And Christ has proclaimed the gospel to be for all nations. preaching uh, about the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the, the Christ, the anointed one, the one and only. So any illustration, any, any way of trying to explain, hey, kind of think of it this way, I just need you to know, it is going to fall woefully short of the supremacy of Christ. So don't send me an email going, I can't believe you would lower Jesus to that level. That's not my heart. I'm just trying to help us maybe get our minds around and maybe paint a picture a little bit about what the people in the text we're reading about and what they're experiencing when they look and see the Son of God on display. So that's where we're at. We'll see. So I want to illustrate it maybe this way, because Jesus is just getting ready to start his ministry. If you remember last week, he, he's in Nazareth, and he gets rejected by his own people. Now you're Joe's kid. Who are you to tell us? Something goes down and something interesting is going to take place. He's going to begin to begin his ministry in a very transcendent sort of way. And so here's the example I have for you. I don't know if you remember, uh, back in April of, of 2020, COVID had just uh, shut everything down. And it shut down all sports, which was a heartbreaking season for the Yule household. But there was no sports on TV. There was no way to kind of just, I don't know, let's just watch something and not think about this. There's nothing on. So the people at ESPN decided to speed up production of a mini-series that they turned into really 10 episodes called The Last Dance. You remember this? It was a documentary about the, the last season Michael Jordan played for the Chicago Bulls. And they went all the way back to when he was playing in college and they began to follow this journey of Michael Jordan all the way growing up. And as you watch this, at the time, there was this great debate, is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? And it's still going on. And everyone that was, that was arguing pro-LeBron really is because they just hadn't seen Michael play. And then the last dance comes out, and for an entire 
10 episode adventure, you begin to watch and see what Michael Jordan was to basketball. And you would hear interviews from players, both on his team and against opponents of his. And they would almost always come back to a very similar statement. They would say, Michael did things in basketball that we had never seen before. He transcended the game. He had a competitive nature that I've never seen in any human being I've ever played with or played against before. And all of a sudden, you watch this this man go from this little skinny kid at North Carolina to this superstar. So much so that later on, Tiger Woods would come on the scene and he would begin to excel in golf. And you know how they, what they would say about Tiger? Oh, you know who Tiger is? He's the Michael Jordan of golf. Even still, soccer players, Lionel Messi. Oh, he's an incredible soccer player. Yeah, he's like the Michael Jordan of soccer. When the greatest in other sports are compared and they use your name as a description as to who, how great they are, Michael Jordan transcended the time and all of a sudden people went, we've never seen anything like this. You're going to hear a similar phrase made from a bunch of Jews that have spent their entire life hearing and learning and reading the scriptures and hearing from teachers of the law. Jesus is going to roll in to the synagogue and he's going to preach. And these students of the word are going to say, we have never heard anything like this before. There is power and authority in his word, and we have never seen anything like this. He is coming on the scene, and his ministry is getting ready to kick off, and he is going to change the world because they're going to see and experience something they have never seen before. And yet there's going to be an interesting interaction between the demons and Jesus. Between the demons and Jesus. And the question we've got to wrestle with is you're going to see the demons are going to acknowledge that he is the Christ. We know who you are. You are the Christ, the anointed one. And yet knowledge of who Jesus is and faith and trust in who Jesus is are very different. Very different. So we're going to unpack that a little bit here today. You see, the debate can go on. Who's the greatest basketball player? Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. A thousand years from now, who you think the greatest basketball player is isn't going to matter. Doesn't. Who you say Jesus is absolutely matters. Absolutely matters. And so we're going to spend some time wrestling with this text. But I need you to understand his ministry is getting ready to kick off and he is doing things this world has never seen and never will see again until he comes back for us. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our time in the word. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for the the pages of scripture. God, thank you for uh, anointing through the power of your Holy Spirit, a man named Luke, all those years ago to document the transcendent things your son did. And so God, I pray today as we look, as we hear, as we study, God, that not one of these words would return void, but God, you would open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to all that your son has to offer. And God, I will continue to pray in the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that anyone here that needs to know and understand and to place their saving faith in your son, Jesus Christ, God, would your Holy Spirit ascend upon their minds and their hearts now? Would you pull veils back from eyes? God, as Paul prayed, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see and to know and to comprehend just the beauty and awe and and the love that you have for us? So God, go before us. As always, we'll thank you in advance for whatever you choose to do. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So here we go, Luke chapter four, verse 31. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Here it is, verse 32. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. One commentator I read this week said this, you know, it's interesting, most likely Jews were used to coming to the synagogue and hearing scribes and Pharisees recite rules. If, if we know anything about Jewish culture at the time, they had, they had taken the law of the Lord and then they began to kind of add some things and do this and do that, and so it became very controlling. It was a, a religion that was very, if you do this, then you're good, if you do this, then you're bad, and so just give me the list. Give me the list of rules. So sometimes they would show up at the synagogue and they would hear things like, hey, did you tithe 10% of your cumin intake this week? Did you, did you, did you put enough uh, mint in your wave offering to the Lord? Because you got to have X amount of grams of, and it was just minutia. And then Jesus rolls in. And not that he, he came to completely go against all that, but he comes in and he's speaking a word with authority. And he's helping these people go, hey guys, stop focusing on what to do and not do and can you focus on the fact that the Messiah is here before you and let me teach you and show you the supremacy of who I am. And so with authority, he begins to teach and all of these people that have been used to, we go to church to hear the rules, all of a sudden hear life spoken from the Son of God. Verse 33, and in the synagogue, synagogue, just so we know, is, is the Jewish place of worship. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out in a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And let's stop right there before Jesus responds. You get the scene that's going on here? Everyone is just... Who is this guy? He is te- he's saying things we've never heard. This is powerful stuff. And in slinks this man with an unclean spirit. You know who is not welcome in the synagogue? Anyone unclean. Certainly not this man with an unclean spirit. And so he sneaks in the back. And as they're all enamored with what Jesus is teaching and he is speaking the heart of God to them, this guy pipes up. Ha! Who are you? What do you come to do? You come to destroy us? Causing this great distraction. Everyone's eyes turn and they all go, what is he doing in here? He's not allowed in here. And then eyes fixed back on Jesus. What's he gonna say? A question has been posed. Authority has been challenged. What's this guy gonna do? Well, what does Jesus do? Verse 36, but Jesus rebuked him. He rebuked him. Let me, let me pull this word rebuked out a little bit because he's going to use it three other times. He's going to rebuke them. He's going to rebuke a fever. He's going to rebuke demons again in just a little bit. Here's what rebuke means. Rebuke is a strong command of disapproval that warrants a response to either start an action or to stop an action. It's kind of what rebuke is. So for all of you that have kids, all of you dads, let me talk to the dude. Dads, okay? I don't know if your life is like mine, but my kids tell me, dad, you're great. You're great. Uh, but you do have a dad voice. And though you don't use it often, when you use it, action is required. And so my kids, I pick them up from school and my two younger kids, and they are, uh, eh, two out of five days, they're great. The other three, they're just arguing with each other. 
Roll your window up. I can't believe it. Your feet smell. You know, and they're just back and forth. And so it often goes like this. Hey, guys, can you stop? Can we just stop? Guys, please, I'm asking you. We're not even on the freeway yet. Just please stop. It's been two minutes. We have eight more to go. Can you just stop? And then the rebuke comes. Hey, that's enough. Stop it. Action required. Authority exerted. You will either stop or the swift hand of justice will come later on. And to my kids' credit, when the authority is exerted, when the rebuke comes, action usually is followed. That's what Jesus does here. This isn't a, hey, you know, unclean guy, can you, hey, Shay, they're not supposed to know yet. No. He begins to pipe up in the back, and Jesus looks at him and goes, that's enough. And he says, be silent. Literally means to muzzle. This man speaking, calling him out. Imagine in here, someone in the back just starts yelling and screaming, and I just go, hey, that's enough. And he stops. He stops. That's what rebuke is. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Verse 36. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went into every place into the surrounding regions. You see what's going on? We are in awe at what this man is teaching. He is doing things we have never seen before. And now he's commanding even the spirits listen to him? Word begins to spread. Oh my gosh. Go back and watch The Last Dance. Michael Jordan becomes a worldwide phenomenon. Because he's doing things that no one's ever seen before. Jesus Christ begins to do things no one's ever seen before and word begins to spread. But let's come back before we get in and move on with our story. Here's what I need you to understand. The demons, what do the demons do? They acknowledge he is the Christ. They know who he is. They're gonna say it again in just a little bit. So it begs the question, if the, if the demons know who Jesus is, what does that mean for their eternity, for their soul? You can go read James 2, right? Even the demons believe and shudder. So what's the difference? Here's what I think's going on. It's one thing to know who Christ is. It's another thing to know and understand who we are and who Christ is. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we unpacked this word repent, right? Repent is this. It's changing the way you think about sin and righteousness. When, when Paul comes on the scene and he begins to preach, he says what? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The demons knew who Jesus was. They just didn't want to acknowledge their need for Jesus. They didn't want to change the way they thought about sin and righteousness. And so for us, when it comes to our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is, it's, it's one thing to go, oh yeah, Jesus is, is the savior of the world. Is he your savior? Have you acknowledged? God, I am not perfect. I'm changing the way I think about sin. I understand that the things that I do, the things that I think, the words that I speak, the actions that I do are not in line with your will. I understand that I am sinful. And because I am sinful, I am destined to spend eternity separated from you. The Bible uses a word called hell. That's my fate. I understand that. See, this is 
what the demons didn't understand. They knew that Jesus had the power to destroy them. That's why they asked, have you come to destroy us? But they didn't want to acknowledge the depravity of where they were and get to the place where they would say, that's where we're at. Can we place our faith in Jesus Christ? You see, you gotta understand and know, you gotta change the way you think about sin and righteousness. If you're at all under some sort of misguided understanding that when it comes to your righteousness, well, God, if I do enough, there's some great cosmic scales in the sky, and if my good outweighs the bad, then I'm in. Nope. You gotta change the way you think about sin, the bad stuff, and the good stuff. There's no matter fruit you can produce to get you in. It comes down to this. Do you acknowledge that you are sinful in need of a savior? And is Jesus Christ your savior? You see, that's the difference. The demons, they knew who he was. They just didn't have a correct understanding of how desperately in need they were and who Jesus Christ was and that he could save you and I from our sins. So where are you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? See a, a name that we sing about? See a historical figure that we know about? See a, a name to be spoken when you lip out a four-foot putt? Or is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, the one that you would say, God, I need you for everything and I only get anything because of Jesus? And you go all in. And you wrap both arms around the cross of Jesus Christ and you hold on tight with everything you got because I'm telling you, a thousand years from now, how you answer that question, who is Jesus to you, that's the only one that matters. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? We all got a problem, it's our sin. God showed up reading about this man right now that changed the world because of who he was, the son of God on earth, died in my place so that I could be forgiven. Who is Jesus to you? Here we go, verse, oh, what do we got, 38. After this interaction in the synagogue, he arose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Again, I think it's interesting, Luke's physician this. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. It comes out right here, right, when he adds the word high fever. Um, most likely what the commentators say is, oh, they had, they had means for treating low-grade fevers. You know, take a bath, eat some herbs. They had ways of, of treating some of that stuff, but, but Luke would probably lean in when he heard the story and go, well, what kind of fever was it? What kind of fever was it? And they go, oh, man, it was high. So all of a sudden, for, for people at that time that didn't know how to treat high fevers, it was almost a death sentence. And so when Luke puts, it's a high fever, this wasn't just like, oh yeah, she kind of, you know, she had a headache and, and maybe, you know, a toothache. No, she was at the point of, of most likely probably going to lose her life, this high fever. And Simon and the others, they appealed to him, to Jesus on her behalf. And he stood over her, and here it is again, he rebuked the fever. Hey, it's enough. And it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid hands on every one of them and he healed them. Where are all these people coming from? Well, go back to the synagogue. Let's say you see something crazy happen here. Jesus commands a, a, a demon-possessed man to be healed and, a, and the spirit comes out and then you guys all leave. What are you gonna do? You're gonna go to lunch, you're gonna go, hey, you're gonna, I can't believe what we just saw and you're gonna talk. Everyone's talking and everyone's hearing. He did that for them? 
hey, I got, I got a sick, let me bring them. And so all of a sudden, he's eating a meal at Simon's house, heals the mother-in-law, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, opens it up, and there's just a massive humanity out there. All sorts of disease and ailments, demon-possessed. What does Jesus do? He heals every one of them. Verse 41. And demons also came out of many. And what are the demons crying? Here it is again. You are the son of God. But he rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. He knew that he was the anointed one. Jesus is silencing these demons. It's not their message to share. It's his and his followers. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. If you got a pen or pencil, and you're not averse to writing in your Bible, circle that phrase, desolate place. It's gonna come up a lot. I'm gonna talk about it in just a second. He went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him. And they would have kept him from, from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So get what's going on here. He's in Capernaum and all of a sudden people are like, well, we like this guy, we like this guy. And out they come. He's doing things, he's healing people, he's healing everyone and they go, man, don't leave. This is the greatest thing we have ever seen. You can't go. Jesus goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I gotta go. That's why I was sent. I was sent with a purpose to preach the kingdom of God ultimately to the world through his followers. Purpose. So here's the last little bit here. The first question I have for you is, is who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Is he your savior? Is he the one that you would say, God, I am not perfect and I need your son Jesus? Is he your savior? Who is Jesus to you? Here's the second thing I think we can glean from this. You go back and look at, at verse 40. The sun was setting all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them out to him and he laid hands and my Bible says on every one of them. Every one of them. It's late in the day. He's been teaching all day in the synagogue. He's casting out demons. He's just had a meal and it's probably like, oh man, that was a great day. Time to go to bed. Knock at the door. Massive humanity. And it's one of those moments where you're just like, all right, day's not done yet. And yet Jesus heals every one of them. He makes time for every one of them. And so here's my question for you. Who's your everyone? Who are the every one of them in your life, in your world? Because in just a little bit, I'm going to pray. I'm going to sing one more song. You're going to fire down four bags of donut holes, and then you're going to head off to the rest of your week. Some of you are going to go to country clubs that I'm not allowed in. Some of you are going to go to jobs that I don't even know exist. You're going to go to a school and sit in a class where if I walked in, I'm the creepy old guy in there, and yet God has you there for a purpose and a reason, and you are surrounded by your everyone. Do they matter to you? Who's God put in your world, in your life? And you go, man, but I'm just so busy. Jesus is about to save the world. He's got a lot on his plate, and yet he makes time for everyone. 
In this story, he says it healed every one of them. He doesn't turn anyone away. He sees everyone with the intrinsic worth and value that God has placed on them as image bearers of God Almighty. Do we see them that way? Who's your everyone? We're all gonna go. Look around this room. Imagine the amount of people that will be impacted by just us in this room this next week in so many different places. Who's your everyone? Do we wake up with a mind and a heart that says, God, here I am. Whoever you put in front of me today, would you let me love them? And if you give me the opportunity, would you give me the courage to tell them about Jesus? Who's your everyone? To actually pray before you set foot, your feet hit the floor, would you pray, God, today, give me a divine appointment. Would you, you, would you let me lock eyes and hearts with somebody? And would you set it up where I might have the opportunity just to love and care for them right there? Who's your everyone? We've all got people. Do we have eyes and hearts like Jesus? Can we see them as everyone? Or do we go, man, it's been a long day. Maybe tomorrow. God's got them there for a reason. He's got you there for a reason as his son or as his daughter. Who's your everyone? Here's the second thing I think we can pull out of this. Go to verse 42. He's just worked all night. When it was day, early in the morning, he departed and went into a desolate place. You're going to hear the same phrase used multiple times, this idea of desolate place. In fact, oftentimes throughout scripture, you're going to read, Jesus is off in this desolate place, and then the crowds come find him. He's getting away. He's sneaking away. Life is hard. Ministry is hard. There's always a demand on my time. And so what does Jesus do? He goes, hey, you know what? He wakes up early, sneaks out of the house, and just go find some place free of distractions, a desolate place to pray. The Son of God modeling to us not just for our benefit, but because I think, I know Jesus understood the beauty and the relationship with God Almighty, with his Father, and he longed for it. So much so that he would often leave all of life, all the stuff, all the things that were to be done, and he'd go find a desolate place just to pray, just to commune with the Father. So here's the question. Where's your desolate place? Where's your desolate place? Where's the place that you would say, yeah, you know what? For a period of time, I rid my life of all distractions and I just go spend time with the Father. Guys, the, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The reason why I'm a big fan of this, pages of scripture, is because I know myself. If I spend time in God's word on my phone, you know what I'll get? A text, an email, ESPN update. All things that go, all right, God, I'm learning from your word. Ooh, wait, who'd we trade for? <laughs> That's not a desolate place for me. It's not an indictment on anybody else. But for me, I know I just got to rid myself of all distractions. And for me, it's not my home. I got a seven-year-old finger in my eye at 5 a.m. Dad, I'm up. <laughs> I got an 18-year-old, gets home at midnight. Doesn't leave a whole lot of time without distraction. And so I got to find a desolate place. When I was at my other church, I had two places, one on campus and one just up the street. Man, I'd hide out there often. Do you have a desolate place? If you wanted to go spend time with the Lord, just uninterrupted time for about an hour today, do you know where you'd go? We need a desolate place. We need a place where we can just stop and go and listen. And maybe for you, you're like me and you want to read scripture. Then go read scripture. Maybe we just need to learn. You know, again, not to quote it, but scripture says, look, just be still and know that I am, I am God. 
Maybe you just need to go find a place where you can just sit in the stillness, in the quiet, and let God speak to your heart. Our Savior, God on earth, found time often to just get away and to be with his Father. I think there's something there to be learned from us as God's kids that we could follow in his footsteps. Where's your desolate place? I haven't found one here yet. So if you know of any places on campus where I could get out of my office and hide, let me know. I keep looking. Looking behind this screen might be a good spot. Find a desolate place. Find a place you can just sneak away and rid yourself of all distractions because what, you, what you're going to learn if you haven't learned already, the enemy wants you busy. He wants you physically busy and he wants your mind thinking about all sorts of stuff. I've said it before, I'll keep saying it. The day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Satan loses the battle for your soul. It's over. Now his job is to fill your mind with things that keep you from realizing and understanding all that we have in Jesus Christ and telling people about it. So if he can make your mind wander, if he can keep you busy, if he can get you distracted, that's that's his greatest tool now against you. Find a desolate place. Find yourself reconnecting with the Lord. Here's the last thing. We see this from Jesus, verse 43. They're pleading with him, please stay, please stay, please stay. And for any of you that have been loved and and endeared to people, and they just look at you and go, oh, please don't go, please don't go. We want you to stay. You're the greatest thing we've ever seen. In your flesh, it's hard to go, eh, I probably need to go. In your flesh, it's like, eh, yeah, you're probably right. Tell me a little bit more about how awesome I am, not Jesus. Please stay, please stay, please stay. No, 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 you guys don't understand. I've got to go. I was sent. What's the word he uses? Purpose. Purpose. 43, I must. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he goes off preaching in the surrounding region. Here's the question. Give them all, all four of them to you here. First one was this, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Second one is, who's your everyone? Who are the people God's put in your life to minister to? Where's your desolate place? And here's the last thing. What's your purpose? What's your purpose and passion? Ed Lutz, my friend, asked me an incredible question at our preaching meeting this last week. He goes, Kevin, don't you think everyone has the same purpose? I think we do. I think Ephesians tells us, right? What's our purpose? To glorify God in all that we do. Very cheesy church definition. Here's what that means. Let me simplify it for you. It's that I would make God look good every opportunity I get. That's my purpose in life. That somehow people would go, man, God is good. And get their eyes back up where it always has belonged, and that's on God Almighty. That's our purpose in life. Glorify God in all we do. Make God look good in everything we do, the way we love, the way we relate, the way we care for others, the way we parent. Make God look good in all we do. So that's our purpose. So maybe the better question is this. What's your passion? Because if that's our purpose, I do think God has uniquely gifted, anointed, called each and every one of us with a specific passion. Do you know what yours is, and are you living in it? Are you living in it? Are you using your passion to bring God glory, to point people to Jesus? weird reasons that I can't quite fathom and understand, God has called me to do this, to stand in front of you and talk. And I I enjoy doing it. I want to vomit over here, but when I'm up here, I do okay. This is a pleasure. But God's word is my passion. 
if I'm honest. This is what I love. So if you meet with me, often you're gonna get scripture. That's my passion. I use it to help fulfill my purpose, which is to, to glorify the Lord. What's your passion? What's your passion? I know some of you, man, you are, I marvel. In fact, sometimes I gotta confess, I get jealous at your ability to just be a gregarious personality. You walk into a room and everyone's like, man, he's here. Because you just love people. I love people because God tells me to. I tolerate them in my flesh, right? I mean, it's just not my (laughs) thing. Given the opportunity, I'll find a desolate place and, and live there for as long as I can. Some of you, that's your passion. Use your passion to bring God glory. Some of you, I've talked to you. I, I'm, in fact, I'm meeting with a sweet couple here in a couple of weeks. You know what their passion is? They've got a passion for kids in the foster care system. That's their heart. That's a beautiful thing. Use your passion to fill God's purpose. You got a heart for evangelism. You got a heart for for caring for people, for hospitality. All of these things, this is what God has instilled in you and he's given it to you as a passion for what? For you to go, man, look how great I am. No. To preach the good news because that's why we are sent to glorify God in all that we do. And so what is your purpose? What is your passion? What is the thing God has uniquely given you and how does he want to use it to impact his kingdom? That's not just a question to write down and to to wanna, that's a question for you to ponder, to think about, to submit to the Lord and say, God, what is it? What is it you've put on my heart? And how are you calling me? Maybe for some of us off the bench, because we've been sitting on the bench for a while and this is God's day going, time to get back in. Time to remember that I've called you, that I've gifted you, that I've anointed you with with a purpose and a passion for my kingdom. Get out there and do it. I'll close with this. Like I said, debate about basketball, petty, stupid. It's good for a Tuesday night to distract you. Who is Jesus? That's for eternity. It's for eternity. You're going to hear in the weeks to come, you're going to continue to hear, God is going to use Jesus. God is going to do things. Jesus Christ is going to do things. They're going to put him on a level that here we are, 2,000 plus years later, still in awe of who he is and what he did and still mesmerized by all that he is. Changed everything. Has he changed you? Again, my friend Ed said, you can go read this this week in Matthew chapter 11. There's an interesting interaction the people of Capernaum. Jesus says, look, it'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you because if they had seen the things that were done they wouldn't have rejected. These people, in all of his power, and all of his authority, seeing things that you and I are reading about today, trying to visualize in our mind, they saw it happen live, and they still didn't come to the place that they said, I need him. I need a savior. So there's the question. Have you come to that place? Have you acknowledged your need for a savior? Or will you go the way of, them, of these and, and many others that go, eh, that's neat for a Sunday morning, but I got it. You don't got it. It's the enemy messing with you. We need Jesus Christ. That's why we have this, this sign lit up here in the back that says, follow Jesus. We have, we have prevent, prevented or presented the gospel a lot of opportunities. We've prayed prayer a lot of different times. You know why this table is back here? Is because it's there for any of you, all of us that go, man, I want Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Just walk over there. They're not scary people. 
Some of them are. <laughs> but we all need somebody, right? You know what you're going to find? Someone that just looks you in the eye and goes, man, tell me what's going on. Can I pray with you? I love you. Can I help you understand? Can I answer some questions? Can we get together maybe sometime if you're open to it and just open the word of God together and go, man, here's, what, here's how God defines you. That's his beloved kid. I encourage you in the word of God. That's what they're here for. That's what we as pastors are here for. We've got Stephen's ministers. We've got people all over the place meant just to love and care. Why? Because we're not in this alone. Satan wants to isolate. We want to wrap our arms around each other. Would you find one of us? If today's your day, don't leave here without telling somebody. Tell somebody. I just want to love you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. God, I don't know, I don't know what you're stirring in the hearts of your kids here today. God, I don't, I don't know what your spirit's up to. But I pray that he would be active in the lives of each and every one of us. God, I pray for tomorrow as you put a whole list of, of unnamed everyone's in front of me. God, some of them I know that I'm going to interact with. Would you give me eyes to see them as you see them? Would you give me a heart of compassion for them the way you have a heart of compassion for them? God, would you give me the discipline to commit my time to you first and foremost? Be filled with your spirit so that you can use me as broken as I am any way that you can. God, would you continue to reveal to me and my brothers and sisters here as well, God, what is it you've called us to? What is the passion you've entrusted to us? How are we gonna use that to further your gospel? God, don't let us leave here without wrestling with what you're doing in our hearts and our souls. God, for any and all, that today's their day. Kneel before your cross and to wrap their arms around your son, Jesus Christ. God, give them courage. God, limit all distractions. Give the enemy no foothold here in this place for them to have divine appointments. Meet with somebody. God, we thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to even get to worship you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing is going to deny the glory that is his. So go out and glorify Jesus Christ in everything that you do. Brag on Jesus. Opportunities await everyone. Not only everyone in this room, but everyone you come to face to face with out there. Matters to the Lord. Let them matter to his kids. And let's go brag on Jesus. Starts right here. Starts right here. If the body of Christ, I'm a firm believer, I've said it before, if we can't love each other here in this place, we're going to have a hard time loving a hurt and dying world out there. So let's get good at loving people here. Love one another. Service is not over until you love each other. Love each other. we got people to pray with you up here. We'd love to talk to you if you want to come talk to any one of us. If you want to go talk to somebody about following Jesus, make your way over here. The rest of you, love one another. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys next weekend.